0: Hi guys welcome to the Dashtrip Show, this is Avran Sibarthi who is back as a host almost after a year and today we are having Omkar Patnaik on the show, he is a student of humanities he is going to pursue law in the future, according to me one of the best minds to talk about world politics, democratic reforms and some untrue realities of this country, enjoy this So, Omkar Patnaik, welcome to the Astrix Show Club. It's a pleasure having you. And uh, I've been waiting since a long time to have a conversation about um, geopolitics and all that stuff with someone. And finally, I got you. So, just first introduce yourself. and it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I reciprocate the same emotions we have. So, I'm Omkar Patnaik. Uh, I just graduated from grade 12. Looking forward to joining a university. And I cracked flat in December. I had an all-in-year rank of 180 and a state rank of 2. But again, that's boring academics, so let's set that aside. I run this volunteer group called the Global Federal League, which works towards the cause of uniting the world under one federal government. So more about that later during the course of the podcast, I am actively into debating and in MUNs and into facilitating another competition quizzing as well. So that has given me a degree of perspective on world issues. So when I look at the popular discourse that propels me to think about it. I did about it on my own. And I've had a lot of ideological shifts in between, from the left, right and center. And that's where I've landed right now. So yeah, that's all about me. Uh, that's good. That's good, bro. So actually I have a lot of topics to talk about. And I like I, I don't know where to start. Let's start from what's recent you were. Actually I was while you're coming here I was going through a read like recently I think uh, day before yesterday, there was a meeting in sorry, Turkey, anyways. So there was a meeting there of the foreign nationals and the Ukrainian nationals slapped the Russian law with it. And there was a fight going on. So, okay, like but so what's currently going on? Have you read something news about what's currently going on? To talk about the latest update, we had the Kremlin confirming that uh, there was a attempted assassination on President Putin orchestrated by the Ukrainian authorities. and They they have promised the mother of all wars, they'll bring in cataclysm, they'll bring in doom and stuff. So, we don't know where things are heading. But of course, it's a very ugly direction in which they're heading forward. And the whole thing about slapping lawmakers and then uh, flashes from the both the sides, all of that I believe, it's all superficial to an extent. What matters is the undercurrent, the tensions that run between the countries, deep below. So, if you look at it from a perspective, there are a lot of stakeholders who gain to profit from the war. There are a lot of stakeholders who indispensably will lose out. So the civilians will lose out. If you look at the taxpayers' money, that goes down the drain. So governments technically are losing out. But if you look at defence corporations, if you look at a few institutions out there, they're standing to profit. So a lot of these events might be orchestrated, might be engineered beforehand as media theatrics. That doesn't mean like I'm not empathising with those who are afflicted. A lot of them might be genuine events as well. But all I would say is we need to take a few things with a pinch of salt. We need to have some amount of regulation on our passions. Like, let's not let, go th- let uh, things go out of hand and like, turn into the next... Uh... Actually, you know, I have a bit bit different perspective about the war going on. See, uh, before starting of the war, everyone know us know about the NATO. Right. That uh, and NATO, when it was formed, it promised that it would not go till the Russian territory. Because you know, it's the US thing that after the Soviet bloc was completely demolished. We all know that NATO promise will not, it's, it's basically we are doing this for our own protection and all that stuff. We will not go to more than seven countries. And I think currently they have moved to 14 of 15 countries and recently Finland signed in. All right. Finland is Sweden. So basically, Russia thing of that war was uh, Ukraine should not join NATO. All right. Because if the americans will have a base in ukraine that will be a great trade for russia so they conducted a war and it was a sanction or not i don't know but they conducted a war right so do you think uh usn i it is considered to be a one lunar and all that and the un all because if the u.n is the like it's basically responsible for it was made out of the League of Nations after the League of Nations after the World War 1 and after World War 2 it was the UN to control the world events and must stop wars and all that stuff but if it's not able to control NATO and the USS from increasing their autocracy in the phone world how can they say another thing to stop war and stuff I'm not saying what is great or anything but Russia has their own I arguments strongest. What's your take on? Firstly, I would say that the UN currently is a toothless organization. At the risk of getting myself into trouble with the comment section, with a lot of other people, I'm saying this that the UN is toothless because if we look at the regulatory mechanisms, it's heavily skewed in favor of the countries which are currently assuming some power in the P5 group of countries. Yes. And if we have a look at it, there's a very pro-Western take on the UN's uh, standing on issues. So. Firstly, the UN itself, it doesn't appear very competent to deal with the issue because it's been quite the entire while and all of a sudden it thinks it's an apostle of peace and it tries to usher in some amount of solutions over here. Things don't work that way. The aggression has been dual-sided, it's what I would say. Like I won't against again fall for the Western propaganda that Russia has initiated the war or it's the West. It's It's been a two-sided effort and they have successfully ushered in a war. They have brought us to the age of doom and let's hope things get better. Currently, international law itself is a a situation of void. It's absolutely flawed because, again, there's some amount of codification which is required, some amount of executive sanction which is required for international law. Like The only UN agency which can have some executive implications, some executive actions, that's the UNSC. And we know how democratic it is. So if we look at the UNGA, we have countries which are blatantly refusing to ratify certain conventions. And this thing is not just limited to military issues, but even if you talk about climate change, So, a lot of countries are yet to ratify the Kyoto Protocol, the Paris Climate Agreement. And countries are joining in and pulling out of it at their will. So, all of that indicates that there is some other other flaw with the current system of governance. And that's basically what we're campaigning for with the Global Federal League. We campaign for UN reforms. We bring about some degree of legitimacy and authority to UN resolutions, because that's something which has been, again, brought together legislated by countries together. So, there has to be some respect for those pieces of document. Like, you are basically running an organization about, you know, World democracy and all that stuff. Do you think that we should take a step forward about even becoming an independent organization? Because what what is happening, like, we are seeing after the COVID, the w mutual I think. There is still now, there is no research from the Shanghai and everything that what happened, how this came out and all that stuff. Because China funded a lot of money into the WGV. right? This is again, you know, a flawed system that like anyone who is giving you more money you are taking inside. Otherwise, you know, it will stop the money, will stop and come back. So do we think there can be a solution where the UN can be an independent organization, then only it can work independently towards the work progress, right? Otherwise, it's just feeding again and again to the, you know, five countries and other countries, there is a stigma. Like in Africa also, again, the Sudan thing, Sudan civil war. again, it's just started. They are not able to control a single thing for more than three to four years. Uh, Afghanistan's thing, they fail right? The Iraq war, the US and that, it's a democratic thing. And we had the merchants of Damascus and all that stuff. This, this is when they're in bomb the entire place. This is destroyed the country, right? We are killing autocracy and all that stuff they, in the same. So but what, what reforms do you think that UN can even can? See, firstly two points from my head. Firstly, if you think about democracy as an idea, you can't just implant it somewhere, like you decide to become the flag bearers of democracy one day and you think you are the caretakers of democracy, you go and plant a flag over there. That's a democracy or there. it doesn't work that way. The US democracy on US territory is different. The US democracy outside is different. We have this phenomena called McDonaldization, if we put it correctly. So the trend is like ushering in Western capitalism into a country, using democracy, using liberalization as a way to bring. Because we look at Iraq, we look at Sudan as examples. But there are way more examples where whole economies have been destroyed due to policies of organizations like IMF and World Bank. So they have a very pro... Yeah, exactly, Zimbabwe. So they have a very pro west stance. I Even mean, if you talk about Russia, so I believe this has been there in the 12th NCRT book, so a lot of people have studied about this. There's this thing called shock therapy, where all of a sudden you're liberalizing the economy. And uh, whole economies have collapsed because of that. Inflation then... comes. Exactly. And that's the reason why Putin came into power, because they saw some potential in Putin. And that whole situation of tumult that gives rise to autocracies because people vouch for autocracies only when they see democracies are not competent to handle the current situation. So they look for a strong leader. So it's a very vicious cycle and I would say if we look at the US activities in Chile as well, where they completely uh, uh, staged a coup d'état against the Salvador and the government and we had uh, Augusto Pinochet ruling for the next 16-17 years. All of that illustrates that there are no bona fide intentions when we have some people claiming to be a part of the democracy bandwagon. So democracy is an organic change which has to come out through countries themselves. Look at India. We have been colonized for years together, but still we are a very successful democracy. I would say we are not focusing on the world ranking because world ranking is putting us still after hundred. That's a different thing. It's always biased towards the west. That's why I think uh, recently I don't know about the bias, but all I would say ranking say a thing on a very subject on a very objective note. But if you look at democracy, what democracy means to me is that the average Indian has some expectations from the leadership. Like you'll still find old people in villages going to the voting center of the polling booths to cast their vote. And if people are enthusiastic about becoming voters. Like I turned 18 recently, so I'm enthusiastic about having my voter ID, regardless of how much time it takes for the election commission to issue me one. So that is there, plus again we have accommodated so many diverse cultures within ourselves. So, democracy is not just all about electing leaders, having free and fair elections. That's a very big component of democracy, but it's also about embracing diversity, embracing different cultures, coexisting peacefully, which will be an issue over here, but again, we are doing it fairly well. Oh, he's well, like fairly talking, like, you know, everyone cuts, the Muslim as the minority and all that stuff. But if you compare the Muslim condition, you can take the example of Saudi Arabia the, you know, Arab country, then the Pakistan and all that. Are the people living there happy? Of course, they're not. Are the people living in Pakistan happy? Of course, they're not, like the economy is collapsing. And it's a very radical thing. But in India, still, they're free. Communion, you know, and I, is and right. all. They're there. Of course, they're there. But that's not because mainly of the government. That's because of the people. The government is honest. Whether was the communist or the BJP, they have never tried to, you know, engage so much you know, in doing this violent stuff and all. They want to try, try, try to control it. And there are also a lot of laws for minorities in this country, which is also an indication that we are not a perfect this Of course, we are not a nearly diverse country, but we are taking for a good step. So if you look at it from the perspective of quality, by quality I mean the structures of government, right? So the Judiciary Executive Legislature They technically can't go about spreading hatred Like They can't do that stuff, they're technically not supposed to do that But when you talk about political parties, you talk about certain institutions The only reason why we have such polarizing elements in the society is because they gain some traction with the people So suppose I point out some difference between you and me Like maybe let's say you have a moustache, I don't have one right now And I spread hatred using that like people with moustache are this and that So I use that as a bait for people So, people from the non-moustache community, they'll sympathize with me and they'll have hatred towards you, they'll have animosity towards you. That's because I don't have any better thing to talk about. I can't talk about, let's say, food, education, clothing, whatever it is. So, in a want of issues, in a want of a proper discourse, in a want of proper education, that's when people fall into these uh, narrow-minded traps, they fall in for these all communal disharmony thing and that's how we have communal discord in the society so it's a lot to do with how civil societies go ahead with this how religious denominations go about to quote dr apj abdul kalam religion is a means to make friends to a means to spread peace for great people only small people only the trivial people they use it as a means to fight and wage wars so uh, taking that opinion into consideration there have been many instances where hindus and muslims and sikhs and christians they have lived in harmony They have been living in harmony for years together, so I guess the problem lies with the current discourse, the media, the way civil societies are functioning, political parties are taking things forward. And it all boils down to the lack of a sound education. Can I talk about media? Talking about media, the 9pm news. We are witnessing the golden age of yellow journalism. Just the way it's again rising in the United States. It's seeing a new dawn in India. We have had a traditionally socialist model of uh, journalism if we talk about it. So, if you talk about, uh, we talk about a certain news channels right now, they move that Republic well apart. If you talk about certain news channels right now, I won't take this from Landmine traffic. Lawsuit <laughs> will be So, If you talk about a few media channels right now, so they openly spread around hatred like yellow or red. Is it okay to be bilingual? Lal, Pila, Nila, you will have text over there XYZ people killed. This is a question of this community's prestige and stuff. Actually, the, the uh, you know what the media is doing? They are not actually focusing on the hot topic. Like, the text, they are focusing on the hot topics. They are not focusing on what they should focus Like mean, there are a lot of topics that people decide what a hot topic is. This is to debate right. and to get a solution. Like, every debate that is happening in any media, is that getting into solution? Of course it's not. It's, it's just getting into arguments and all that stuff. And you know, viral memes, right? It's just getting into, it's not getting into the solution. But if we're talking about the debate, debate is a thing. Two people have in different perspectives? Go ahead to find a common solution. There's no solution. So basically we can say that, I will not say that the media is completely, we can write off media. But surely are a need of independent media houses in this country. Not only in this country, also in the entire world. Media technically is independent. What I would suggest is, bring the media under the Right to Information Act. Like, let's have a look at the financing of media houses. Let's have a look at news yes. formalities, that's one. Secondly, again, it's a matter of discourse, a matter of education. So, people out over here, they're taught to have uh, based, like they're given absolute opinions in textbooks. You're not encouraged to have an analytical mindset. So when you don't have that, you're accustomed to that sort of information. When you look at social media platforms, the type of content we're all consuming. So Joseph Stalin had predicted the whole thing about Instagram deals, YouTube shots way back like 5-6 uh, decades ago. That the attention span of the average individual that would come down to such an extent that people would not be able to process simple, simplistic information and they'll require everything within a minute. In less than a minute. That's the, that's the whole trend right now. I refrain from casting my opinions on a lot of things because I simply don't have the patience to look at it. And Passions again, they're soaring very high, like it's very easy to manipulate a group of people to wage a war or to instigate a riot right now. So, with the age of information technology, with the age of social media, there's also an issue that has come up, and that issue is about how volatile a societies are, how volatile a whole community is. So, while it has connected masses, it has also assured in a whole new era of division and threat. Yeah. And then after middle we'll talk about education system. See like, education, let's talk about humanities a bit. Right. About the humanities that we are and the true history development. I think. Recently some of the parts I think the mobile saw was removed by the classical book. No, I believe seventh onwards we haven't content. So from a very I think from sixth standard we are taught SST and normal stuff. We are always taught about the, you know, the only one family gave us independence. And also before pre-independence era, we are mostly talk about the Muslim rulers to be very specific. Like there is very less information about rulers like Cholas and you know, Ahom's. I I don't think there's much like Ahom personally, till 10th standard, I have not read. Like I came to know about them after 10th standard. Cholas, I think Chola and Vijayanagara impact is there. But uh, not to an extent it should be. And you know what I personally think is that the way our history is written, it's one about our dates and instead, it's right. It's the way it's written is very boring. It's not about, you know, the. it's not about absorbing the interest of an individual. It's just, you know, just getting it done for the exams. It's all about dates and all that stuff. Do you think there can be some reforms in the way the textbooks are written and also the way of teaching? And firstly, we are not teaching history the way it is supposed to be taught. History looks at the influence sudden events have had on societies. When we talk, and history again, it's a very diverse body of knowledge. You talk about political history, you talk about social history, which technically is sociology. There are a lot of different directions in which you can take history forward. We are basically taught a series of events and why this, why does this impetus on Mughal culture, maybe let's say the Delhi Sultans. It's because they have had this rule over India for a significantly longer time. Like Mughals I believe for 500-600 years, 500, years. If you, talk, if you consider the later Mughals as well. If you talk about the Delhi Sultans. Yeah till Bahadur Shah Zafar. And yeah the family still continues. Again that's a different thing. Like they're living on the verge of penury right now. So if you talk about the whole phenomena out there. So this is, about, this is spanning across 5-6 centuries. They have had the Marathas rule over the entire part of India. Like from Attak until Katak. That's the extent of the Maratha Empire under Balaji Bajirao. If you talk about that particular part of history, it lasted for a very short while. But again, that was a very consequential part of history because the last opponents to the British were not the Mughals, they were the Marathas. So, we were talking about the Marathas. So, towards the northern part of the Maratha Empire, parts which Shivaji had established, So first is the Maratha Empire had made a lot of heavy weight. So, we had Sammai then step brother rajaram the for a big then after rajaram died he had uh, a swaik tarabai ruled for a 40 period of time I think I I think personally I think that marathas decline was there because due to only the internal disturbances absolutely because I think marathas they were divided into uh, what uh, the bajirao uh, a lot of uh, like we had the Peshwas of pune then Polkas of indore and they were divided in all that stuff. That's why I think collectively, if they would have fought, I think they would have won, of course. But again, it's the problem for India, it's always the internal disturbance. They lacked a vision after Shivaji. Yeah. Like the Swaraj which Shivaji had dreamt for. They achieved it after conquering Delhi, like Balaji Bajiro, Bajiro himself went up to Delhi and the Mughal emperor was spared as a nominal ruler, as a symbolic representation. <laughs> there was a fun fact, there was a talk of having Balaji Bajiro's son Vishwas Rao becoming the Mughal emperor of India. So we would have had a Hindu Mughal emperor. But then of course, in a tragic turn of events, we lost Vishwasara in the third battle of Panipat. Yeah. Going fast forward, again, this particular part of history is something which I have very thoroughly studied about. And I feel sad that it's not included in the curriculum and the books. Plus, again, whenever we had school projects, I was encouraged to take up topics which uh, framed a part of the curriculum, like talk about the Mughals or talk about the Mauryan Empire. Like, you have to stick to particular chapters. But had I been given some liberty, I would have done a great deal of research on, let's say, the Vijayanagar Empire and the Gajapati Empire in Odisha. Yeah. Or if you talk about uh, the Kingdom of Kashmir out there in the north. Yeah. Like how we landed here. Again, it's a very controversial topic, but it's true that our textbooks have come you know. They're just uh, there for the north. Right, very less. Odisha, they don't talk about it. Kashmir also, they don't talk about it. Northeast, no. And South also, very less. I think in our history books, every, the main kingdoms of every, you know, there should be some information about kingdoms of every state, because well, every state had some, you know, impact on, on this country, in forms and all that stuff, but it's not that. So if you look at it from one perspective, like, let's look at it from the perspective of the people who are designing the textbooks. So they have a lot of, top, because India, again, it's a very big landmass, you have to talk about a lot of histories. in and uh, in the process of doing that you, you tend to compromise on the histories of particular regions. Like you tend to talk less about Rani Durgavati of Gondwana and you tend to talk more about let's say uh, Prithviraj Johan or Mohammed Ghori and the whole Delhi Sultanate thing because these were some landmark happenings in the Indian geopolitical mm-hmm. sphere so in the course of doing that we forget a lot of regional topics so all I would say like some, some amount of reforms which can be brought about in history education is that you allow a child to study the history of his or her own family, his or her own region. Because that is very essential. As an Odia, I didn't know a lot about the Gajapati empire or even about the Puri temple or the Konark uh, temple. The not taught. Behind. We are not taught. But then I inculcated a history, I inculcated that passion within me. And that's what enlightened me about my culture and the greatness of the same. And that's how I appreciate certain aspects of my culture. So again, that's an exercise which every child should undertake. And how do we exactly inculcate that in is through Having history textbooks which are flexible. We need to teach children the art of doing research. Like this is how you go about studying history. These are the sources of history. These are the primary sources of history. How wonderful it would be if we have children themselves translating old works like let's say Jayadev's Gita Govinda or uh, the Madala Panji. If we talk about Odia history. So these particular works can be translated by students themselves because they get an idea of the old literature, how things were back then. They do it themselves, they get a First-hand understanding of history, and maybe they themselves could go on to become research, uh, like research and experts. They could maybe talk about certain things with a greater degree of confidence. I have been supplanted with a lot of notions, which I personally don't think I'll agree with after doing a lot of research myself. So the whole thing is about that. Even if you have certain notions right now, it's because of the upbringing you have had. Like it's, it's a very you know. What I personally believe is what true liberalism is, you can question your own notions after a point. I think if you are finding some other notions logical, you can question your own notions too. You should not be, you know, very extremist about, you know, your own ideas, your own identity. You should be flexibly taking up new things. And I think that is lacking in a lot of students, that's true. And again. Uh, talk about modern history, a bit. It's uh, because uh, every one of us have you no, know, let's stop till 10 because a lot of people don't take humanities you know, after hell. So, till 10th, we had just thought about you know, just the in the India movement. What do you think? I think, there was a small, renewed you know, paragraph right where it said about the other, right? <laughs> the, I still remember in ninth standard it's it was just as this much paragraph about the phone other info and we know how much we contributed. Right. right. And also no mention of Royal Navy. Right. The Air Force mutiny. It there, there's no mention of that. It's basically, you know, the one family thing which constrain in that respect. Do you think that needs to be reformed? I'm I have no disrespect for the Congress or Mahmay or anything. But I think that we should know from where we are coming from. Right. The Indians have a problem from where, like, I know recently some people, you know, they are coming out with our culture and all that stuff. But if you look before five or six years, everyone like, even the West is the best. The, our culture, our history, our own tradition, it was all rubbish, the British came there. You know, they civilized this. This notion continued for a very long period of time. and. It, and because of our education system only, it continued. Because we always showed British as, you know, we were not there up to. They came and whatever they did, and also we didn't fight. We just, you know, satyagra bed right. It's not practical because right. if, you know, in true sense, if you see one thing, satyagra and It's not practically possible. Exactly, it's a cumulative, it it is a thing. It can have an impact also it was having an impact. But entire impact it was not having, for sure. And we are not taught about the and other things in our history. Do you think those should be included? If I put forward my opinion, I consider Nehru as a very pragmatic person, like the way he took forward India. I'm not excluding these, uh, like, what, Foreign policies. We talk about he was a very science guy and all, he established a variety in the dance, not a lot of work in that. I personally believe he did. It. But you know, he gave away a sky chain, he gave away fever. few, okay, that. And he also he gave away veto power. Right. I'll have a different stance on the veto power, which i discuss later. But if I talk about a sky chain and like the whole thing, why we discredit Nehru as a Prime Minister right now. Imagine you didn't have a sky chain, you didn't have the China war. Like things were okay until then. If you talk about non-alignment movement on the face of it, it's something like he took a pioneering leadership over there, pioneered a front for the developing nations, third world countries as they were called so. So, he started the non-alignment movement along with uh, Sukarno in Indonesia, and then we had Joseph Rose Tito from Yugoslavia, and you had the Egyptian Premier uh, Abdel Nasser. So, until like the problem with Nehru was again, he was too much of an idealist. So, that's something which came down to him from his mentor, Mahatma Gandhi. And whether we call him Mahatma or not, that's a different question. But with sects down through Gandhiji, that's what uh, is the whole thing that came down to him. And the problem with too much idealism is, like when you're driven by an ideology as a whole, you tend to disregard the realities of the current society. Pacifism is something I agree to to an extent, but I believe in pragmatic pacifism. If you look at the quest of Netaji, there are a lot of things I don't agree with him. His allying with the Axis powers, I don't agree with all of that stuff. But then, it takes a lot of courage and initiative to do what he did. So he showed the path to a lot of Indians out there and we had the Royal Navy mutiny as you pointed it out. Or the Air Force mutiny later on. And these are struggles which we don't talk about in our history books. Again, history tends to favour the victor, favour the victors and that is the tragedy of history. That's the very reason why I suggest we shouldn't have a curriculum for history as such. This might sound something out of the world, like how exactly will you have students study history? Basically, you basically teach them research methodologies. These are the sources of history. This is how you verify things. This is how you verify facts. Open their minds. And then it's your choice, whichever topic you want to study for history. Like what happens with students when they pursue a PhD? That's when a lot of people get to know the truth. Because until then, we have planted their heads with so many preconceived notions and thoughts. And this is not something which is just plaguing the humanities stream. When if you look at the sciences or at the commerce stream, due to a lesser extent, but the same phenomena exists. So I would say our humanities course has not been very well structured because the data is completely outdated if you talk about the books. If you talk about certain instances, there are a lot of events being added. Like we have the BJP government in power right now. So we have Article 370 added to the syllabus. We have Dinda Dayal they added to the syllabus. The whole idea of integral humanism and stuff added to the syllabus. Uh, when we had the Congress in power, we had the 2002 Gujarat, they had added to the syllabus. So governments, when they come in and they leave, the best experiment uh, room for them, the best experiment lab for them is the education system. Now, we need to understand that education is something which is supposed to be independent of this entire phenomena. So, that of course is a tragedy and that's why again I suppo- uh, support the involvement of the private sector in education to a large extent, largely to the extent of designing the curriculum. Because with the government while education is becoming accessible, the elephant in the room is that again education is being driven by what the political party or the ruling party thinks. They're basically supplanting ideas in people's heads. Right. Which is not absolutely the ideal way to go about in a democracy. Yes, right. 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 Because you know, Germany was not exact like it was not only the one thing. We are never taught about the example plan we must say on. Land. Right. Then like, do we ever talk about it was cruel or something like that in our textbook? Never. But it was, of course it was. And was it necessary? Was it ne- necessary? Exactly. But we are always talking about Hitler, you know, kill this million Jews and all that. It was wrong, of course. But you are only seeing the one side of the story. And also, again in India, we are not taught about the evil British did with us. I don't think. Exactly. Bengal famine, they were responsible, not like they are taught that this in you know, a war. This all can happen and this all has happened to us, so in future we should avoid this kind of thing. For that they are taught, but I think we are not taught exactly, like, are we talking about, do we talk about the Kalapani thing? We don't. Like, it was hell. It was literally hell. We are not, then people people will say that, you know, it it will create Hated among the people, but it will not. It is just the reality you should show to your children, to your people, and we are never showing the reality. So, what do you think about this all stuff? All I would say is we are again like at the risk of repeating myself. All I would say is like we are still continuing with that whole structure very conveniently, because with the new education policy, which was a much required move, I believe again we are progressing very slowly with that. We are trying to incorporate in a few changes which don't match exactly with the infrastructure requirements we currently have. There's a sort of a cultural lag that we are facing in the education system. And history of course, it's the the biggest sufferer. Because sometimes history can be outright propaganda. Look at Nazi history. The way that was taught once, they incorporated Nazi culture, Nazi ethos into mathematics classes. Imagine the extent of the whole thing. I believe that's Even if not to that extent, because we currently have the internet, we have a lot of resources to verify our information from. We lack that research aptitude, that analytical ability to understand facts. What saddens me the most is we are digressing from the key issues on the ground we are looking back at we are looking back at historical figures, like we're insulting Veet Savarkur, we're insulting Nehru, and that's become the norm right now. We're having memes around them. Like memes for the sake of humor, for the sake of freedom of expression, it's absolutely right. And you're not exactly like no one can infringe your rights in that aspect. But it's more of a question of morality and ethics. Like, what are you exactly doing with your life out there? When you're spreading memes like this, when you're spreading ideas like this, you're diverting the public's attention from something productive. And that's the whole notion where we are caught with. If we quote Rabindranath Tagore from his book Nationalism, there was once a time when India was a very enlightened civilization. But over the period of time, we stopped progressing, we stopped updating ourselves. And we kept on eating the remains of whatever was there with our past legacy, with our past history. So the whole generation gap that currently exists right now, is a generation which is disillusioned with its past, which thinks that we have talked enough about the glories of the past, it's time to embrace the West, it's time to embrace modernity. There's another generation which isn't actually modernity. They don't know the definition of modernity because the West isn't exactly modernity. And we have another generation which is very rigid in its beliefs, which doesn't exactly embrace, uh, let's say, a lot of customs and traditions, which lacks the necessary empathy. So, as a bridge between the two, we need some sort of reconciliation. We need some sort of rediscovery of our own our old ideas and thoughts and beliefs. So, all that has been suppressed under the decades of curriculum framework and stuff that needs to come out and the only way of doing that again I would say is research, inculcating research aptitudes. Like people abroad, they know how to write research papers, like if you go towards Europe, education is subsidised to such an extent that people have 2-3 degrees just like that and PhD is very common out there. When we come back, because, but it's a fact, you know, like we are here, most of the people, you know, lower middle class or there of the middle class if they want a job and you know wanna settle in life but in the west everyone is well settled so they have a lot of time you know for the researcher for to you know go for their hobbies again it's changing in india slowly I hope it changes more in the future. It will be an organic change. Yeah. We can't dream to... I mean, we can't give money to other people and go or get rich. Think about a lot of people who just pass away pithy judgments, just like that, like, India is a country of the underdeveloped, people don't have a conviction. We need to understand that there was a systematic campaign to bring us to this condition. And again, the reforms take some time and that's what we're currently undergoing. So, one of the biggest failures, I would say, of the Nehru government back then was, like, it didn't go about with universal education. That was one thing which they couldn't work on amongst a lot of other accomplishments they've had. So they focused on higher education, they talked about IIMs, IITs and AIMs but what about primary education? Because that's the gateway to higher education. So a lot of people who don't reach until higher education, a lot of people who reach, they're rendered unemployed because they don't have their own thinking skills. If I tell you that this phone is red, you're bound to believe it's red. Because that's what you have been taught your entire life. You can't challenge me that maybe it's not red, it's some, exact, uh, some other shade of orange, let's say, or yellow. We had one of the, I think in some stand-up comedy of uh, someone, he said that as Indians we are not taught the art of asking questions, right? Right. And again, with the Nehru thing, let's uh, get back to that. Right regarding veto power all i would say is that, again veto power inherently it looks like a very unjustified proposition yeah it's unjustified because it again says that you know concentration of power in some people and not in like it's against federalism as a global level of course it is but what i have read is that he rejected because you know he didn't wanted to go i think the ussr was offering uh, us veto power and Nehru didn't want to go against the US because at that time, US, US was a threat. Like, we know, we have seen movies like how it was stopping us from, you know, conducting nu- nuclear operations and all that stuff, the cold war dynamics. So basically, that's why he, you know, he just rejected. But I feel that uh, he lagged some of the, you know, foreign mechanism at that time. What do you feel? He best knows the reasons, best known the him. My theory on this whole thing would be, to some extent, it's so fortunate, at the risk of again drawing myself into controversy, I would say, it's to some extent fortunate that we didn't go for the veto power thing because just imagine a lot of things that happened after that. We have had veto power used incessantly a lot of times by countries to preserve their interests and it just at the cost of pirating Cuban rights, conducting war crimes and stuff, genocides, a lot of other things happened. Had we had the veto power, India as a country, we have something quite a conscious. So, you know, the, these Kashmir files thing, what I have said. So, what do you think? These opinions and these fights fight, should come out in public or not? Absolutely. Some ideas, some opinions and facts, they need to come out in the public. And yeah. we have had films which are absolute pieces of propaganda as well. Right? There are a few films yeah. like that as well. But again, my belief, as a person, as a libertarian inherently, what I believe is that like such ideas should not be very exactly censored. Because what might be a fact for me, what might be true to me, what might be acceptable to me, might not be acceptable to you. You might consider this phone as a very offensive thing. For me, it's my way of leading a life. Right? This connects me to the whole world. So, again, censorship and the whole thing about it, this whole bandwagon which goes about ban despire, a bath this day, stuff uh, and stuff. There are some things which the public should know to take with a pinch of salt. The public should know how to do its own research. If you look at the Kashmir Files, I have watched the movie from beginning to the end. I would say they talked about the phenomena, well. Like the photo's taste, of course, the use of phenomena to some extent. Then there are a lot of things we can talk about. We have, Shik- we have had Shikara as well. So Shikara wanted to take the whole film on a tragic comedy note. Like it talked about a love story and being, you can have a completely different reaction. Yeah. Kashmir Files has more of a documentary reality sort of out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you check out Vivek Kavni Files, that's another yeah, the, that's that. That's, uh, I also was there. That was also completely, you know, it, it was less of a movie and more of a documentary. Completely oh, documentary, not. but that, like if you look at these things. But I have researched Kashmir finds it was uh, not uh, entirely, it was not true. It was more based on assumptions. There are found to be some assumptions that that's one thing which the public should be immune to. Yeah. They should have some theatrical. But again, these assumptions are not only by the director. Also, those people who are not there in the, now, like before, like, uh, the Wells, I can say that Indira Gandhi, you know, she wrote in many, you know, writings and all, she wrote that, you know, maybe he was poisoned and all that thing. So I think the assumptions are not only by the director also those people who have written about those topics beforehand they have also their own assumptions. He has based his book, he has based his film on some literature. Yeah, he given credits credits in the eye. you talk about the tashkin Pals, he so talks about the Mikrokhin archives. Yeah. But again, we need to idea how credible of Mikrokhin is. Because he was again another person who reached the, uh, reached the Russian intelligence Agency ID. If you read it to the... I mean, yeah, sure. But again, if we look at it, history is multifaceted. The truth is multifaceted. So we can't form any absolute opinions. That's the first lesson of history. That that's the first lesson we should have. What we are taught in history is like we we were absolute savages at a point of time. The British introduced in but they destroyed our economy and stuff. So these are opinions we are giving without any premise. Like, a very limited amount of premise, more of opinion. They killed this person. Mangden Pandey was hanged. That's what we're taught about. But we don't understand the full protest behind it. We are not also to uh, have thought provoking ideas to think to have today's purchase as rightly pointed it out. So, action. things like the Kashmir they need to be made and they're supposed to be made and organically be made. This is a ph- phenomenon which is very common to the society. And if you talk about the Kerala story as well, what matters is that how much productive the public is with verifying the facts, like the efforts you took over the my friend. So, you took the pain to verify the facts over there. What you could have done is maybe you could have assumed. Tell me what you're saying. And I used that in TV debates, I use it as that when decide my attitude towards a particular community. Majority lies in the fact with how much truth the information is, how well you're able to take a perspective on the same and the way in which you take it. If we talk about the anti-sikh riots, like back we had the socialist form of media. So when the riots are ongoing, like uh, during the year, thing. After Bindar, after Bindar, I said, hey, assassinated you. Yeah. first of October. Yeah. Yeah. While the riots were going on, Bombay movie Chadra had a division. Yeah. Like, imagine it's, it's such a pathetic thing. Like, Bobby was running on Root fashion. There were no news reports about the riots. TV affiliates in Delhi. Delhi was completely afflicted. We had places like Kanpur, Mongi, and uh, Farsam Tharkhan. A lot of places they were afflicted. And parts of Bengal and Maharashtra were somehow sick here. and the in Calcutta because we had we didn't have Congress governments over there. So they had Baal Thabay taking care of the six in yeah, Jyoti care of the six in Kaikada. So the Congress keepers didn't they didn't get an lot of word. But if you look at how when well it was orchestrated, like the boot foreground, they took out school like the Raikou right? schools, they read the address books over there. They took out the addresses of the six children, they targeted the house. they yeah. It happens to these documents. So, again, these are things which need to come to light. We had a thin for 31st October by we like we had uh, us over there, Soha and Mikhail. Again, that film did have a lot of fraction in the box office. You talk about Kashmir files again. So it's a, it's a matter of discourse effort. The Kashmir issue is gaining discourse currently because we have a political party which feels very strongly for the Kashmir. So that, that thing is found that they fraction. Similarly, we talk about Dakarias. Way back when, when they had a government in Punjab, 31st October would have been a lot of fraction. So the problem with the whole thin thing is that we. Since they come to the play for a short while. If we watch them, they get temporarily aroused by passion. They make a few comments here and there and then they forget about it. They do take lessons from them. Because if we took any lessons from the previous riots, we would not have had the Delhi riots in 2020. They are family new riots much yeah. later in even. That's the good thing. During the CA dinner rides. Okay, so let's talk about uh, a bit about law now. Uh, year per. Going to pursue law in future and all the best for that. And uh, you know, I want to talk about this recent stuff. And you are aware of that whole Ati Math thing and all. Like, what happened? Only you are you are aware. Okay. So what I believe and what I feel is uh, when and what I have studied about. He was a criminal, basically. Let's talk in layman's language. He was a criminal. And despite being a criminal for like for the entire UP he was a criminal, but for a community or not exactly for a community, for his own village people and all that stuff. he was a sort of you know bhai, he was a sort of that thing that you know he said that you know mess and all that stuff. And he had murder charges. Everything he had on his mind, and still he became a member of parliament. He was an MLA and then an MP. And also there are complete proof that in sitting in the jail, he was conducting murder. And like it's, it's a fact that you know what is happening. And this is not the first time in India it's happening. Now, are you aware of the wrestler sport protest? It's happening. Brij Bhushan Singh. Again, he is also that kind of man. I think he, I think the government is having some connection with Brice Bhushan saying like uh, actually it's two point controversy because the wrestlers were protesting, they're having some connections with the Haryana wrestlers thing and that's why they're protesting and also Brice Bhushan of course is pro- now from the BJP and all so he's also having some political connections so it's a two-sided game that's why you know and the Supreme Court also said that you know you go to the High Court and I have given my judgment. So it's no solution is coming out. Do you think people like this? And I don't think there's any true uh, law in our uh, you know constitution that prevents these kind of people to enter into politics. First thing and second thing, do you feel that education should be a thing in coming politics? Because what I was taught and everyone is taught in class eight and nine that no education is required to join politics. It's just the age that is required and your motive everyone else of us knows what the motive is <laughs> anyways so do you like what reforms can our law we can make in our laws to prevent these kind of people and we you know we are going through an artificial intelligence revolution how can we do such things so that more people from tech from your humanities background and commerce background More people like that, more educated people Can enter into politics Youth can enter into politics Or, you know, now The political game is all about area party It's all about that How can that be prevented, first thing? And second thing uh, what your take on this Atik uh, incident? That, we there. As in, no, the book. Okay, there's yeah. Okay. No, technically, we cannot see anything on your split okay. okay, but at BKML, the was convicted of a future. Yeah, me, yeah. Having effect a... is out there in the jeep. His killing, I would say, is unfortunate because he has suit to the U.P. police. Yeah, no. Like him dying is, is it's another thing. It's a matter of human rights. But, yeah, it shows to some extent the incompetence of U.P. police with proper cutting. Yeah, actually, you see, it's a matter of human rights. It's true. But, uh, again, it's a question. The person who is having more than 10 murders on his head. And also, this is a country where a criminal who was uh, at not a terrorist who was involved in the Mumbai attack, he was sentenced to like I think death after seven or eight years and the rapist okay. Nirvaya case they were after ten or twelve years, they were sentenced to death. Do you think these kind of we should consider human rights for these kind of people? It's a very controversial question, but I have to ask I mean, this. This the answer to this as well. If you don't consider human rights for these these people out there. We did the really descending that like, Next, as you, we book like, I'm the government, ours. And I consider your opinions to be anti national. Anti national, again, it's a very subjective thing. Yeah. So I book you under a particular affection Yeah. And I put you in jail. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, I decide that the court hearings are going to your, and they're not being delivered justice. The justice is not being dispensed. So all of a sudden, I decided to stage a fake head counter. and I kill you. Now, we don't know whether the court would have declared you guilty or not. Okay, but the constitution, the makers of the constitution, there, there are some thoughts in the mind by allowing this right to the imprisonment for the I think uh, it's uh, it's under a uh, right to life, right to liberty. There is a right. against conviction of offences. Right, uh, right, second article We have to take care of this. So article 21 is right to life and liberty. Article 22 is the further extension of conviction. Right. again, okay, there are a lot of things involved. If I talked about today, it is Against double Jeopardy. Okay, you can't be forced to convict or testify against yourself. Okay. I can't basically torture you in the jail and I make you say that I'm I i can not make you do that. Okay. So as much as that happens, that's completely illegal. Now, if I have my own take on this, like again, it's it's a very unfortunate thing that the judiciary is post-low-paced, but it's a part of a bigger issue because we have very less judges to deal with who judge cases ratio that's very less. Nice. Right. Judge population ratio is very less. Again, like there have been, there's this freedom fighter we had called Gaur Das So he had to fight for 32 years to get his Saman Patra. Okay, that's the India we are living in. So his son he wanted to get a seat in a college in Mumbai using a freedom fighter's quota, which he was denied because the only proof he had was a jailer's certificate. We independently, Kambaleshwar district jail. And this college was in Mumbai so it's a complete change of status and Odisha is on the eastern coast and Mumbai, Maharashtra is on the western coast. So it's not easy but for him to take the traveling on this fine to Odisha to to correct his documents and stuff. And he applied for this document uh, in the 1950s or 60s when the government had started the scheme. And he never received the document. The spy finally in the 2000s that he received the document finally after 32 years of struggle. And uh, like, during that story he was like he was coined a fraud, he was coined a tin and found a lot of things during that fourth period of time. And that that's the worst thing that can happen to a Freedom Fighter because he fought his entire life for the country so He he's dedicated his youth. And this is what he gets in detail. And how I got to know about it through another film. Like Anar had a film called Gore which starred in a F- and in Again, that starred that uh, featured against Pajarani Bhajar and he can very well understand which film grossed better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I f first time I heard about this film. Right, and like that's the that's the sad part about this whole thing. Like a lot of people haven't heard about the thing. And you get it and get this on Hotstar, like, you can watch it for free, Like it yeah. in yeah. subscription of You And watch it for free like, I again. Mean, kind of I, I I'm very sure. That that thing completely changed my opinions on how things work. Like until then I used to think that Lari the whole Dead the thing, it's a the thing of the past. It's all digitized right now, but then okay. I think and you, you know what pn lalbatti thing if normally let's take uh, an accident okay no, normally let's take an accident if in in an, in a in a highway tra- a truck is going through an accident then th- there isn't any legal consequences that the truck owner has to pay there is nothing like that that you, you have to pay this much of amount, you know, if you, you have made an accident, there's nothing like that. But if you want your goods and your truck to go from there after the accident, you have to give 4,000 or 5,000 to that police personnel. Otherwise, he will uh, convict you with... So, it's one thing to disapprove or approve of something. Remember was a point of time when I wasn't exactly conditioned or I wasn't sensitized about LGBTQ rights and right. Again, I would admit I used to consider the same absurd. but with due course of time with a bit of reading and a bit of research I realized that it's scientifically explainable and we have religious texts, we have a lot of and yeah, then yeah, we have an idea Now, it's one thing Again, I've been in those shoes people who look, down, not exactly looked but who look different the LGBTQ people now I consider them very close to me I have a lot of people a lot of contacts so be to the spectrum The full problem right now is the sort of arguments which are being presented in the Supreme Court like an equating the whole thing with incest, talking about yeah. things like marriages of fun. Con- like, we are not talking about lavender marriages, marriages of convenience. We are considering a marriage to be something between a husband and a wife. Yeah. What defends a rune for a husband and a wife? That's the question to the Swami the generally. Mm-hmm. So, the nature of arguments, they don't betray a sense of contempt towards the phone community. That is what disturbs me the most. You might approve or disapprove of something, which is that's a absolutely fine. But when you go beyond the foundation and values of empathy, understanding and some amount of uh, compassion That's what is disturbing like why is there so much of hatred against the particular community just because they are a bit different So that's the whole question I am I don't think now that much hatred is there in the society Like as normal people there is no no hatred I think there is a small... Like people feel they are little different from them but there is no hatred I, I don't think there is any hatred like at least in the modern day India, there isn't. And again, we talk about the law. It's the it was the Catholic Church that prevented all these things. So the law came out during the British time. And uh, I all you know, I think the Solicitor General, what he is uh, arguing is that the concept, what the you know, I think uh, who is the Chief Justice of India now? Niyaz Yeah. So I think he gave a statement about gender being you know, a mental constraint. I think, and the solicitor general question that because, you know, uh, again, we have to see another fact of it, because in Europe, after they have made all these things very legal and stuff, see, it's a true fact that those people, they can't reproduce. It's a true fact. I think, not I think, in Europe and in Sweden also, in some parts of Sweden, uh some small children like eight to ten year old they are taught about you know you have a 200 types of uh, genders and you can choose like uh, in europe it started with lgbtv rights and now it's going to a way where they're saying children who are normal by birth they're normal but they're saying that you can choose whatever you want you are normal but like should you need? i mean they're I, I, they are male or female by birth, they, they are just normal male or female by birth but they are given not rights I will say but they are influenced like 8-10 years old in school like there are 200 kinds of uh, like we say you can choose any religion There is say you can choose any gender and it's happening you know uh, in small kids actually who are coming up this alpha generation there are a uh, lot of them They are saying like, now I feel like I'm a girl, after some, I feel like I'm a boy, I've seen many cases, like the Europe is absorbing so much of these cases, because uh, of what, because of this media thing, because this media portrayed the LGBTQ rights after a certain moment in a different manner in movies and in all different things, and the Solicitor General, what he is saying is that, I don't agree with all of his arguments about the arguments he gave about marriage. I totally don't agree with that. But he gave some statements that we should not promote these rights in India in that kind the Europe is promoting because that will again affect our own children in the future. So, if my take on that, firstly, I don't I don't see a problem with choosing your own gender orientation. And see, like if, if I ask you to introduce him, Karen you might start with your surname. You might start with the ethnicity the community you know. Some people are very passionate about the caste within vote or the vast dimension-esque. So it all depends on the influences you have had. We are on the product of the influences we have undertaken or we have been influenced throughout through the entire lifetime. The only reason why I am a libertarian or why I believe in a particular idea is because I have come across people who have convinced me about it. So the world is a free place they say. And I don't see anything inherently wrong with influencing or even like enlightening children about this whole thing because they are supposed to learn stuff. My problem lies with the fact that a lot of people don't think A lot of people have preconceived notions for the role of a girl and a boy Like what exactly differentiates a girl and a boy other than the genitang If you look at the current generation Like there are some biological phenomena which we have to agree with But traditional societal roles have changed Right Yeah. It doesn't mean like a girl can't become an advocate or a girl can't a bike and a boy can't cook So That becomes irrelevant right now Because we are progressing towards the more of an society So again uh, Identifying yourself as a girl or a boy—that's in a way reinforcing those old social. St- but you know, many uh, influencers in Europe and many uh, Syrian media journalists—they are going against it for one of the very important reasons because uh, this is promoting two things actually. Those people who are satisfied that uh, now they are—you know—they are, you know, they are not, not you know male or female; they are of the of a specific gender, and they are going with that. Great and some who are not able to do that, they are just dying in, you know, confusion. And it's happening a lot because it's a natural thing. It takes a lot of, uh, you know, efforts and many things to exactly identify uh, all that stuff. So it's promoting LGBT marriage, of course it's promoting. And another thing promoting is people are not marrying only. And we all know that Elon Musk also talk about it. A decrease in, you know, populations, in those countries. It's a huge concern. China also did one-child policy and now their older population is just increasing. So this is also, you know, a societal thing that we need to carry on as people. We need to carry on as you. It's not a problem in India, of course. I'm just saying in a whole world world's perspective. So those senior generals, they're saying that this isn't good for the future generation. That it's their argument, basically. We can talk about things like artificial movement, all the same, but we, everyone of us know that the higher the technology becomes, the higher the cost becomes and less people get to afford it. It's a very true thing, so we have to talk in the general society manner. think you talk about negotiation as the ultimate goal of a wedding? Not ultimate goal of a wedding, but you know, as a community, you have to do that. Right. Now, there are a lot of couples, but you don't talk yeah, children, yeah. so, they don't think they are responsible Yeah. Had had all evils been competent at all, take care of children? No, no. We wouldn't have had so many abortions. Ab- ab- not have had so many abortions. Like, yeah. Not for ages. The whole purpose behind this thing is like, what I say is, people are, slowly they are dealing more fun, about their individual or kernel. I would like, I would, I would, not want a child. That's not what i am saying, but like, imagine, I don't want to have a child right from. But the society is pressurizing. Eventually, I end up having a child, and bringing up that child, I realized like maybe I was not meant for this, and that reflects on my upbringing of the child, right? So, I wouldn't be able to extend the best opportunities to the child, or I might consider the child as a burden for the rest of my life. That might define my attitude towards the child. Had I been allowed some more time, maybe I would have decided to have a child eventually. So, this whole thing about procreation, this whole thing about taking forward the race, we need to see what experience we are going forward. I would say people are. To make their own choice, so that I don't see it It going bad anyway for the generator. <laughs> people, you think about it, people are more conscious, people are having children right now. We can make sure about one thing they take good care of the children, Then ensure that the children are given the best opportunity. You won't have people abandoning their children just like her. So, it's again, it's a very big issue for DBT. Oh, yeah, please. So enough controversies on this topic. So uh, let's uh, get back. Uh, let's come to what uh, I was asking about. What are the law reforms that they can take on for a fast? Like one thing is that the judges are less. I have seen that they are actually less. You know, for one judge, I think it says that. Uh, three or four lakh cases. I think more than that for one judge. And it's it's a very disproportionate ratio. But anyways, what do you think? What what reforms can but be made? Uh, judges, we can't blame the judiciary to be passive. No, we, no, no. we can't blame the judiciary to be pa- passive. You look at but Supreme Court's vacation, if you make it's a sentence in court, then yeah, much 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 yeah, it's true, it's true. We can't uh, tell them to be more passive, but we ca- can we make some changes in law making, right? Firstly, the whole judicial like there, there was this proposal for a judicial appointments commission in 2015, which was struck down by the Supreme Court on the grounds of being unconstitutional. Now that was one of the biggest examples of judiciary and uh, the executive and the legislature clashing against each other. Okay. Since I believe keshavananda Bharati. Yeah, Keshavananda Bharati, 1973. Was a case where the judiciary and the legislature had a problem with each other. Like that was that was the peak of judiciary legislature conflict, and after which they entered into a brief period of uh, like he had the emergency at that was the darkest period for judiciary where Justice Cindra became the Chief Justice superseding two other senior judges. Yeah. That was when the Rocking of seniority was broken. Uh, so after that, this was when they had the judicial appointment Commission thing. So the idea was like we have a family they have a setup which appoints judges and being increase the number of judges we have. There have also been some proposals for setting up uh, other benches of the Supreme Court, like if to talk about the US. So they have a, a Supreme Court for each particular state, but we have the front Supreme Court. So there were proposals of setting up a Supreme Court in the four regions. Like we have one in Delhi, we have one in Chennai, we have one in Mumbai and one in Hoiwadam. Or some other city, but we have four Supreme Courts which can amicably dispose of the cases. Again, which has not been discussed much. So it's a place where the judiciary and the legislature have to come to terms, they have to come to, so to common ground. And they need to discuss this forward because this has been fundamentally kept off the table. So we're currently functioning under this. I think I think when uh, Jet Milani was in the parliament, he said about this topic a lot of times, but again, no emphasis on that. Jet Malani was the absolute gather player. if you don't know what, what a gat player, it's an element in the society who uh, is a very uncomfortable question. Yeah. <laughs> and who makes the challenge beliefs that person is considered a revolutionary social reformer and one is an unwanted element of the other. So that's what Mr. J2 is. So he is the officials in this cabinet. And you get a particular sense of issues like 13 cases are given more priority they are discussed first. Like pile, it's And there are some cases which lie pending for 50-20 years altogether. So a lot of these phenomena are organic. The judiciary is all organic. And the same thing applies for the police, for the administrative services, for the revenue services. So there is a need to increase the capacity that you take. One concern would be the quality of services deteriorating. So again, the end product would be like if we could work on the university and the school education. We could do better officers for the future. That way we could increase the capacity for the officers we're taking in. Like let's say we're recruiting 100 ITS officers right now. Let's train people better at the school level. Let's train people better at the university level and maybe we can take the thousand competent officers. And those thousand competent officers would have a better work-life balance. We would have a better salary, maybe. And let's say like we could increase the salary. We could have some reforms of the employment structure. They function under better circumstances. We could remove a few bottlenecks there because there's a lot of political involvement, especially with the police. So we could try to we try, find mechanisms to cut that down. To we'll talk about the CBI currently, the CBI, uh, a significant part of the political leadership is involved in getting the CBI officer, like CBI director uh, uh, to power. We have the leaders of opposition and as well as the Prime Minister and the Wominister again. If you talk about the NCB, that's completely under the Ministry of Affairs. The both D.A. Chakravarti and the whole... Yeah. <laughs> the drugs Again, a lot of things are politically driven and we can very well understand that. But for the sake of content, the media is continuing with the whole thing, right? Like, they have a narrative they have something for the 9 p m news they're continuing with that again you know the media is funded by someone and we know how it is and that's why exactly support the right to information act on the media houses because again corporate funding of media that is that you know one thing about the right to information act and see it's not that accurate i personally you know it's it's actually it's accurate but it again it the hand li- li- lies with the government because I personally, I requested some information about, in the right, I will not say about what I asked, But uh, till now, they have just sent me one mail That's it, not more than that And I haven't got my answer yet So you know, if you ask normal things, they will say But uh, again, if you ask things that may concern them They will not Just take the study. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know I, know, I know him, I know him From Shanti? Yeah, yeah Shanti also was Shandr was Yeah, yeah, yeah Hatha Ji Oh yes Baba <imitation> yeah, yeah, yeah Hukhra commission has been actively anymore Yeah He meant Shandrach or Yeah So And he's written over there in his book And A Ever since RTI was introduced They thought it would be heaven for them But the sad part is that a lot of people use it only for their private home Yeah and the social dimension of RTI is very limited. So when you don't have a lot of people asking for RTI, like filing RTI, yeah. the government is less likely to give you attention. That thing again, it expands to public interest litigation as well. So there's this doctrine for local stand You need to have some interest involved when you file a case in the court. So just because you like me or not, you cannot fight, fight, a, fight a case on behalf of me. You can't fight a case like him. But suppose I have a poor migrant neighbor on a and park and my property has been confiscated. You can find a human rights case on behalf of me and you can fight. That's the du- that's the whole thing about public interest litigation. That's the private interest litigation because people are using it for their own interest. Yeah. So all of these measures have their own UFOs and offsides. But again, by increasing the scope of these uh, measures, we can have a greater understanding of how the new force Maybe we could think of remedies to solve. Again, there are no absolute answers in social science. Like you can't simply introduce one law which will end corruption forever. It's not possible. Think about the ninth schedule. Ninth schedule deals with the, the IRR Yeah, 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 yeah. No. People need to own political The anti-defection law. The anti-defection law. So when Rajiv Gandhi introduced that, he was hailed as a crusader for anti-corruption and now the problem with the whole IRM, BIRM thing is parliamentarians, they are not allowed to have a vote of conscience yeah. Suppose you are the party bill You decide to vote in favor of this bill regardless of how or how it is to our national interest As a party member, I cannot exercise my own conscience vote. I have to vote in favor of what you are and if I don't do that, we can get an expense from the parliament That is okay. The office is getting murdered so, We have a law of that sort, but there is another law which states that suppose two-thirds of a party like. Part in a particular state We had BOA, so All the NTPMN is in Goa They decided to join TMC And that's how the whole NTP unit with it. That's very common in this cast here That's something you're not addressing So a lot of course here So let's I think we have come to the end, end of this podcast And then uh, Let's talk about the BJP government and the Modi Because <laughs> I will not get into trouble. but uh, you know Everyone of, of, of us know that I don't think only for the next five years, but also for the next ten to fifteen years. There is BJP, BJP coming. I don't think I don't know Modi will be there or not. May the reports were saying that this may be his last election and he won't contest anymore because I have like I have read what uh, you know, Bach written about the BJP that he, you have to quit governance after a certain age and all that stuff. But I don't think, I think BJP gonna stay there for 10 to 15 years. So, what do you think the BJP has done right? And what the BJP can improve? And another question is, if not Modi, who? There's a question among, in BJP also. And many people talk about Yogi Adityanath. But what I feel is great in managing a state. But when it when it will come to managing the country, first thing a lot of a specific community will be slightly against him, not entirely, but slightly against him. And second thing, I don't think personally he will, he can do great in foreign policies. These two things again, and Amit Sai is also a controversial fact. So what do you think? If not Modi in BJP or outside of BJP, who can who has the capability to become the PM, or do you think that you know? Any new people can come and again the me what the BJP can improve. As a student of political science, I would one lesson I've learned, like no government stays there for whatever. To talk about Vajpayee, 2004 elections. There was this whole India Shining campaign. And everybody was expecting Vajpayee to win with a nice slide. I don't know what happened over there. Maybe it was a bit about Gujarat riots and a lot of other factors which factored in. We didn't have the BJP, like BJP was the single largest party I've been in back then over there. Or maybe lost by a very narrow margin, but the UP emerged as a very significant front. Like on the on the leaders within Congress, they were targeting 2009, compared like completely discounted 2004. And uh, somehow the UP and the, the Communist Party gained a lot of struggle in having parties. That was the biggest ever score they had in the panel, some 60 seats, I believe. So, cumulatively, they formed a the government. So, we never know the dance of democracy crooked in line, not for the innocent, not for the might. Taking that forward, uh, yeah, I believe the BJP is here to stay for a while because they have very well utilized the power of speech. First thing and second thing, I don't, is I personally don't think that the Congress is doing right work in challenging the BJP. First thing, they're just using the face of a person who hasn't, who doesn't have a gu- governmental experience. Like, I would say if Rahul Gandhi truly wants to become a, you know, Prime Minister or something, first con- contest an election in a state, be a state and handle a state and then people will think you as a prime minister of this country. First thing and second thing, you know, uh, there isn't much leadership. See, we all know that if it's not Congress, presently, Aam Party in two or three states is there, not more than that. And it's a whole lot controversy going in Delhi with the Ahmadme Party, you know. And uh, so we will basically talk about the Congress. I personally think that if the Congress only improve, they can make a new leader and they can put a new ideology. Congress is just putting again the same ideology Nehru did in the 1960s. They are not bringing out new ideologies, new developmental state policies. They are not talking about that. They are just criticising the present government and they are drawing back ideologies from the past. So these things Congress can improve, they are not doing, I don't know why. And you know they are keeping aside people like Sushil from government for a lot period of time. Who's a very learned man, but anyways what they're doing, they're doing. Someone called Rahul Gandhi the biggest campaigner of BJP. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so so that's why BJP gonna stay. And what it can imply? AP is turned into the new Congress. Yeah, exactly. Hard mm-hmm. work is paying more. Yeah. Then being, if you could talk about 1984 elections, like the poor if he was in favour of Rajiv Gandhi. Yeah. And like, Indira Gandhi's assassination and the whole sympathy thing. So, Rajiv Gandhi got some 415 seats, cumulative. We didn't have UPA back. To... Yeah, yeah, Congress then. Yeah. BJP was stuck with two seats. Like, one in Andhra Pradesh and another one in Gujarat. And Bajpayee and is they lost of their own seats. That was the condition we were in. But over the years they worked very really hard on the party based on the party khaira. They talked about organization and stuff The problem with Congress was After Nehru, They had very tumultuous time Like This is not the first time they are booing down in the We had a time where Indira Gandhi was considered a monkey ki gudiya. Yeah, but But I feel Indira Gandhi was One of the strongest leaders of this country Indira Gandhi groomed herself to be a very strong leader And she was surrounded by very like, She had good... Yeah, yeah, yeah so, what Indira Gandhi did was, she completely changed the face of the Congress. Yeah. She turned it into a personality driven party. Radhi yeah. 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 So, the old Congress had a lot of faces. It had yeah. Vanarai Patel. It had G.B. Tripland. Trip it had Govind Vanappad. It had Jawaharlal Nehru. So Nehru was not the ultimate authority. Yeah. But with this new Congress, we had Indira Gandhi triumphing. She became the face. And that continued with Rajiv Gandhi. We had Sanjay Gandhi, maybe, who was aspiring to become the successor. But in a tragic turn of events, we lost him. After Rajiv Gandhi, what happened is they knocked a very really strong face. Like Sonia Gandhi tried to banish the show for a brief while. They had leaders like Sitaran Kesari, Pratis Sita Kesari, they had P.D. Nursimara. Now also they have made Balikarjun uh, <laughs> as their president. whole thing has been organic to the Congress. The problem is they didn't have a significant opposition back then because all they had was coalition. So Congress will become single big party. One single largest party a single nation will become a party. It's basically in the government. So basically, they have a few... It's true, bro. It's true in every political party, you can say. They are here and there. or a few MPs here and there, they form the government. So coalition. So the coalition is, as mukherjee quoted. Now the problem is the BJP has worked over the years. And they have built a democratic they have, they have built a demographic dividend out there. Yes. Yeah. A very strong motor base, which is bound to vote for them. And they were the first to acknowledge the use of social media, which the Congress was very lazy with. So there was a part of time when Shashitaru was the most followed person on Twitter. Yeah. It's PM only. And that's because they understood the value of social media. And I'll credit Prashant Kishword for this because he understood a few things, a few trends beforehand. Now the thing is first come first serve. They have created a narrative, so they are bound to have a first like first first come first advantage in that. with the Congress, what they are doing is they are basically trying to stick to the old tactics, as you pointed out, and they are basically sticking to the same issues which the BJP is throwing at them. Like if you look at other countries, the opposition gen- the government generally tries to deny the opposition any media space, but over here the government is ensuring that the opposition gets media coverage. Yeah. Because. We have a leadership which doesn't take into consideration a lot of factors and it's playing into the tactics of the ruling party. So it's very meticulously planned out and this, this structure will stay for a while. So I think the BJP is going to be there for a while but the opposition is rising and there are a lot of political parties like the Aam Party which I would say is copying from the notebook of the BJP. Yeah ex- exactly but again um, I, one problem with Aam Admi Party which I am having is they are not sticking to their own ideology. Same people, those he, they convicted that you know they are the corrupt people and they are doing coalitions with, with those people only. And also with Kejriwal, he is just siding down anyone who is coming whose figure is you know getting more than him. I, Aam Party, I think has the potential to become a bigger party if they have you know they stay with their strong. Ideology. Yeah. They need to understand two things Firstly, BJP and Congress Like If they want to become the next BJP or Congress, they need to understand cadre and organization They have to start from the bottom Indira Gandhi turned the Congress into a personality-driven party Because Congress had some organization yeah. <laughs> So it was easier to do so BJP worked on its Carder stuff the entire while So you have a series of leaders from, the- yeah. from the BJP What Modi? did was he basically okay. overshadowed All of them through his uh, extremely brilliant personality His oratory skills That's one thing we have to give to the man so, the whole Bombay Convention, like we had Sushma Swaraj supporting Aadwani yeah, yeah. and how Modi put Aadwani on to become the Prime Minister, that's another story. So That's that's interesting, that's fascinating. With the Aam Aadmi Party, the problem is they are very rigid right now. Yeah, exactly. Left of with Exactly. Like, they are employing some tactics here and there, they won Punjab, which they were bound to win in 2017 as But they had a lot of electoral mistakes over there, they have capitalized on that, they have done well right now. But with Gujarat, the sort of claims they were making, like CBI INA report hai. Exactly. Like if you make those sort of claims, nobody's gonna take you seriously. So as much as the work they've done with the education and healthcare, like that's yeah, the yeah. I, I think. That's that's great. And, and like that's the thing that All on the political parties, there are big PR agencies, what I would say. Like they, they know how to publicize the world. All of that is great, but when you get into petty politics like this, that's when you're losing out your vote pack. So I would say consolidate your vote bank in the existing states Maybe work towards expanding in the neighbouring states Try to look out for states with similar issues But when you go here and there You simply are beating around the bush and dosing the main issues So you won't have a single proper electorate With the other parties, like if we talk about the teams, it's very regional It's very regional also We want to stick to a state because we don't want the PGP to get in and jeopardize Yeah us. exactly, BJD also the same thing, right so that's the thing with the BJD, if you talk about have you know, BJ, BJD also, TMC says something against BJP BJP also and all that stuff. They don't allow Modi to go to West Bengal a couple of times. But BJD also doesn't do, do those things. BJD, exactly. Play, play, playing like, you know, a part of BJP only that, we are not going against you. Let us do our own work. The whole thing about governance is, you don't want to antagonize an authority which is above you. Because at the end of the day, you realize doing that will only give you some part time, maybe some political dividend. At the end of the day, maybe you can say, PM, ne sa, paisa nahi that's, that's the most you can do. But when you want to do something productive on ground, that's when you realize that you have to have some degree of cordiality with the gang of it. So that is something which needs to be factored in. How I look at this is like the ideologically Framework has changed, there is a concept called "overton window in political science. When I talk about extremist left-wing things, like I talk about nationalized kuch no private property and stuff. Things like, let's say, uh, public distribution system, universal basic income, there is not acceptability. I am talking about, about a period of time. If you go to let's say India 30-40 years ago, if you would have talked about let's say Ram Mandir or you would have talked about uniform civil code, people would not have supported it. But now you will find an overwhelming support for the ideas because there has been a slow-concepted approach towards influencing people in this direction. So when I talk about Ram Mandir, you are more likely to agree to setting up a new temple or maybe preserving some elements of Hindu culture or let's say uniform civil code like <laughs> Similarly, when I talk about uh, nationalisation, I talk about public uh, property, all so privatisation. You are more likely to agree with public distribution, universal basic income. That's the whole which is being played with us. That's where we need to Consider the education of political science. Like, politics is one thing. People think they have become very proficient in political science by looking at a few news headlines. It's a whole subject here, bro. we are yeah. studying something which is just up in the air. And that goes for sociology and that goes for civics, the whole yeah. domain as well. People think they are caretakers of the society, of the culture, when they don't understand what culture denotes. So, these are a few things which need to be taught to people, and people need to be sensitized. You know, just say you know a few like what improve like BJP has done a great thing in you know in uh, this Kashmir issue, international affairs, India's voice in the in, in all those international affairs, also in the GDP. But again, that's a whole different thing that there is. I think the BJP's work has been underrated. Like the Modi government, if you is the environmental sector. Yeah, it's, it's improved. Yeah. Going to COP twenty-six and having the yeah, yeah, commitment. Yeah. Because prior to the thing, we ha- we talked about environment, green India and stuff. All of that that was on in the paper. Yeah, yeah. We are taking such records over here with renewable energy, with roads, with logistics and highways. So the good work needs to be appreciated. Yeah, yeah, true. Kashmir again, like it, it was a great decision to abrogate the article. Again, a few administrative changes here and there, like the new. Right. Yeah, but that's again a whole political point of. Right, so the whole phenomenon out here is whenever you have a strong leadership is bound to exist a vacuum, because strong leaders emerge out of a vacuum that exists with the opposition. So I guess the opposition needs to, like Bruce up. the opposition needs to stop up and take some serious interest in politics and we are having a lot of ideas about a third front, about a non-congress front, so the regional parties coming together, which is a great thing, because it gives a boost to federalism. But then another idea which has to be taken into consideration is that how strong are those regional possibilities? Because when you don't move out of a particular state, you can't form a holistic diagram. Like if we will just talk about what India should focus in the next five years, like it's just like a rapid fire round. And as the BJP government is in the power, they will have to focus on that. Give me five points. Those five points India should focus in the next five years. Firstly, uniform code And I think it's being long new, okay. If you can't enact it, at least have a. I think they already have a committee, like Uttarakhand has a committee under Justice Anjana Desai. Have it on a national level. Or maybe whatever state says, Anjana Desai, I think she was uh, in Kashmir. Right, right. There is a Kashmir delimitation. Yeah, 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 delimitation. That's one. UCC for sure. Then fast forward the whole thing about the new education policy because, okay. It's, it's a great idea, but it's been there at the yeah. court stores for long. Yeah, it's time to make it happen. Roads and stuff, all of that is cool, but then when you talk about the environmental impact, impact assessment thing So, uh, that that whole thing got into a bit of controversy during the knockdown Particularly towards the Goa side like this, there was this whole thing about the moon the, the part of Goa Then you would talk about uh, RA forests, so we had some issues which were raised and which immediately got subdued Due to lack of any popular political uh, discourse So. Try to avoid those issues because, again, here's the government which has done some groundbreaking work in regards to environment. So, work towards delivering on those goals. Economy is something which needs urgent attention, so, I believe it's time, while I respect the job of a pakoda owner, but still, we need to think about more job opportunities. It's a great thing we have an Apple Store finally in India right now, and industries are moving in. So, maybe we could work towards increasing more jobs and increasing job security because the gig economy is up the rise. The gig economy is basically the informal economy or delivery agents, because their jobs are not secure. So, while we are generating jobs for them, when we are generating income, we need to ensure that it's somehow the other way standardized. So, uh, informalization of the economy needs to be avoided. That's, that's the, I believe that's point uh, four, yeah. Uh, the last point I would say is, you now the commune and Harmony friend. There's this image of the BJP which has been quoted like it's a very divisive party, it brings in polarization. I won't, ex- I can't exactly agree or disagree with that fact because it's a very subjective question. Like no party would in itself claim that we are here to divide people. Right. But then the actions might say otherwise. So if you look at the way in which Vajpiji was running the government, sir. Mr. Vajpayee was a secular person overall. Yeah. And he understood the meaning of secularism in the true sense. So we should not go about patronizing certain religions. But again, we should not that should not amount to de- depriving certain religions of their rights. Because the whole thing is why do you have certain volunteers, certain cursivers, certain karyakartas going against maybe let's say the community communi- dictator, uh, committee dictate the party dictate and engaging in some extremist actions is because they think that's what the leaders stand for which I believe the leadership would very much like to hear I believe Yogi ji would not want his state to be turned as a Hindu extremist state. Yeah. I don't think you uh, like uh, I have uh, listen, uh, like heard the uh, previous speeches, speeches of Yogi ji in 2009 and 10. those were very extremist but after coming to the power I don't think Yogi ji has taken some step you know to uh, just stepping down a small community. I don't think he has done something like that. It's a very controversial thing. If we talk about that, then there are people who will talk about Dr. kafil Khan and who will talk about the whole bulldozer of So there are a lot of nuances. You see, Yogishi's way of governance, you know, everyone it's very offensive. And I think that UP needed that because the same thing happened in Mumbai in the 2000s, which after that, the entire mafia thing, the Dao thing collapsed after that. Because when you have so much, you know, this dawn giri in one state, you have to be, for a small period of time at least, you have to be offensive. Otherwise, they, they, like, you have to do that, you know. Idealistically, it's far from ideal. But pragmatically again, like, that makes sense because so we need to have a strong police force and stuff. But then we need to also understand that the abus and the paramcharis themselves were a part of the narrative. Yeah, it's true. It, well, so no, I, th- I, yeah, I think it's, it's fine for a small period, but in the longer period we have to find solutions so that these things don't happen again. And again, the whole thing, the whole discourse needs to shift. I think mandir a lot of things, a lot of constructive things. Yeah, again, the, the mandir one also we have to respect the Supreme Court in many cases. Because the mandir is a thing, so it was based on proof that there was a mandir there, and Supreme Court gave its truck. Everyone said that BJP is. It means, are you saying that BJP is controlling the court? Is is this a good image of the democracy? Of course, it's not. I think, the especially this communal thing, the. Opinions that are given by the Supreme Court, I think that that should be acceptable by the whole club. Supreme, inherently, is placed to give very empirical ideas, very empirical suggestions. It will simply evaluate the facts here. That's we have the junior yeah. Legislature's job is to look at the greater socio-economic consequences, at the discourse and fame laws, because that's the popular legislature you have. You have elected them properly. Coming back to your question about, should we have any educational qualifications? When a majority of the country is not a graduate of, like, people have not finished 10. I don't think education should be a parameter that way, so we should have okay. some representation for people because those people have insights as well. So there might be a, like we have a class to, a person who didn't quantify class to as an MLA artist. Yeah, but again, you know, in the village areas, if you go to the downtown, it's, it's, if you go to on-ground reality, right. that's just the money game, ha- game happening there, nothing else. Uh, what I read in 9th and 10th civics that you should conduct a village panchayat in much days Everybody is a part of it, they should attend that they should give their own opinions and this is how the taxes should be done and all that stuff Is this really happening? Of course it's not happening So, I mean basically you have to reform the administration in a more efficient way This is another inherent issue Something which I always point out and we talk about democracy in India Our way of producing democracy was rather flawed Yeah we had Councils, we had legislative councils across states. Each state had a ministry, we had freedom fighters, like we had the uh, chief ministers, we had pri- we did have chief ministers back then, we had prime ministers. So uh, a lot of freedom fighters they've ended up becoming prime ministers and ministers. The problem was like decentralization was not a phenomena back then. Yeah. When people don't understand the value of democracy at the grassroots, like do you know the person who's the councillor of your particular ward or maybe your village level for exactly. circle? You don't have an idea about it. All you know about is the prime minister, the chief minister and stuff. So, the whole politics is inherently personality-centric. So, when we didn't decentralize politics right from the beginning, we didn't start with Pachayati Raj. Pachayati Raj started very late, like in the 1990s. had. I think it's the 11th ele- or 12th. Yeah, I believe it's the 11th. 12th is the municipality. So, this municipality name is Pachayati Raj. So, Pachayati Raj and municipality, all of these ideas, they came very late, 1990 to 1993, that's the, that's the era. Those were some really disturbing times for the party. So when people don't know what to do with their vote, all they see is they see a central figure. They don't care who's the member of parliament, which is a disturbing trend. So why people in India they go and they vote for let's say Modi ji or they go and vote for Navin ji or uh, anyone any other leader they have, it's the charisma of that particular individual that dictates everything. They don't care whether this particular person has exactly ten corruption cases listed against him. And the problem is like you cannot exactly debar a person from protesting elections if he's accused of something. It has to be a conviction. In that case you can debar a person from protesting an election. So again, that's another region which policymakers are again thinking about because a lot of fake cases can be filed against an individual to prevent the person from contesting. But we also have people who are genuinely convicted. They still weren't they contested. Yeah. So bro, it's it was really an amazing podcast and like I love talking to people about all these topics because we had a lot of opinions classes but it's great actually you know this is what I like to have opinion classes with people so that I, I can you know listen to your own opinion you can, you can we can form a overall solution it? exactly exposure to new ideas so yeah bro it was just great and you know, my friend sometimes gets gets bored because Kind of, yes, start. <laughs> but anyways, It was a great experience and I hope we can do this type of podcast in the future as well. It's a great experience. Thank you. Pleasure. So guys, I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. I personally enjoyed this podcast a lot. And you know, you, will, you must have come to a lot of new ideas through this podcast. And I hope that you're going to absorb all these ideas through you. And... The entire goal of this podcast was to set a new narrative in the Indian political system and I hope that both of us have contributed some in doing so. Thank you so much.